Folks, let's turn to the Word of God. It is sound, it is solid, it is secure. And this morning, uh, we're, we're going to look in Luke's Gospel. So Luke chapter 13, page 872 uh, of the Pew Bible, 872, Luke chapter 13. Uh, we have been doing a wee series on the church, and God willing, that will continue. Uh, but folks, look, I've heard an awful lot of stuff this week about the coronavirus. I've listened to a lot of guys who have been coming out and saying, oh, you know, this, this is what God's doing in this, this is what he's up to, this is how we're to understand this. And the vast majority of it has been, in my opinion, not that I'm an expert, but in my opinion, the vast majority of it has been wanting. Uh, and I wanted to preach this morning about what we are to make of this coronavirus, how we are to respond to it, and what is going on about it. And God willing, uh, next week we will return to our series on the church, 2020 church. But this morning, Luke 13 is where we are. Uh, and the first vi- five verses of that as we try to discern uh, what is going on in this world. So this is God's word, Luke 13. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrificing. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tar and Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Let's read these few verses again, folks. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrificing. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tar and Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Amen. My father-in-law is RGP. He is also, as I've said, my father-in-law. And so he came up the other week and he had a boot full of homemade hand sanitizer. And he brought us our little share of his booty, his his, uh, production line. He brought it up to us and he gave us some and he told us how to use it. Uh, and he told us, look, I've brought you some multi-surface cleaner. And he said to Jenny, looked in the eye, and he says, now this isn't for the children, this is for surfaces. And Jenny said, yes, yes, Dad, I've used multi-surface cleaner before, thank you. But he was up and he was giving us all this stuff, and he was looking after us, and he was giving us all the advice about coronavirus. And he was telling us that he was in Tesco's or somewhere, and as he walked in, uh, everybody was going daft. Not because he had arrived, he's not that famous, he's known in some circles, but Tesco's and and Sainsbury's, sometimes he goes in there, he's he's not head office there or anything else, but then he goes, he says everybody's going daft, everybody's busy, everybody's panicking, and the security guard of all people comes over to him and, and sidles up and whispers and he says, with no hand sanitizer, but it's all right, 
get the vodka, it does the same thing, he says. There you are. Now there's the advice. Now, now, now don't get me wrong, the security guard wasn't advising him to drink the vodka. The wisdom of the internet and the wisdom of the world says, well look, if you're out of hand sanitizer, it's alright. Get some vodka, some spirits like that, and wash your hands and it, and it does the same job. But of course, my father-in-law gave us the whole talk. He says, but that's not right. Vodka is only 40% alcohol. You, you need at least 70 And that's why, he says, as he opens his big bag, I have made my own. And he pulls it all out, and there you are. And and here's how you put it in your hands, he says, Scott. You do that. You put it on your hand and rub them together. Yes, Leonard, I've washed my hands before. Thank you. Thank you. But look, maybe you're like my father-in-law. Maybe in the past couple of days, someone has sidled up to you and given you the best advice that you could ever possibly hear. Maybe you've been in Poundland. And just as you're filling your basket with those wee biscotti biscuits that you really, really love, some idol came and rugby tackled you and pulled them out of your hand. And why? Because we're panicking. Because it's the end of the world. Because coronavirus is sweeping throughout this globe. And folks, I didn't decide to preach this this morning because I want to belittle coronavirus. Far from it. Far from it. We need to take it seriously. As I've already said, and as we've already prayed, if the government tell us, do this, this, and this, we should follow what they say. We give on to Caesar. What is Caesar's? I am not belittling this. But what I have realized that in these days of coronavirus, there's not a lot of truth going about. Who do you speak to? Who do you trust? Do you believe the rumors? A girl in school told me this. A fella at work told me that. Who do I believe? Well, today we look to the Word of God. Because today the Word of God speaks to us, the Church of Jesus Christ, about how we can respond to the coronavirus in this day and age. And needless to say, it isn't panic. It's not get yourself down to B&M and, and buy whatever they've got. It's not to say any of that. It's, it's advice like that comes from uh, the government and others around us. But today the Word of God speaks about times of turmoil and times of trouble and how you and I are to respond to them. First thing I want to say this morning is simply this, as I've already shared with the wee ones at the front and as we've started our service with, how do we respond in this? Well, I hope and pray that we respond without fear, but instead we respond with confidence and and certainty in our sovereign God. Our God is sovereign. We say that all the time, and and we believe it most of the time, but maybe we're struggling to believe it this week. Maybe we're starting to think, well, 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 Scott, where is a sovereign God? As a pandemic breaks out, as a virus runs rampant throughout this world, where is a sovereign God in the midst of that? Friends, we will talk about that later in the service, but just now, we accept, we believe, we state, we proclaim that our God is sovereign. Paul in Romans writes this about our God. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Here is our sovereign God. We have read already from the book of Isaiah, but let's go to it again in Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts 
higher than your thoughts. Our God is not like ours. Our God knows tomorrow. And he knows the day after. And he knows the answer to all the questions you've got. And he understands all about coronavirus. And he knows its limits. He knows when it will end. He knows the next pandemic that will sweep through this world. He is the one who has authored history. Our God is sovereign. And this morning, that sovereignty, especially this morning, that sovereignty should cause us to have confidence. We are waiting, aren't we, for the next meeting of COBRA. You've heard of COBRA? Boris and the guys get together, and I like to imagine they have a cup of tea and tray bakes, and they talk about how work's going, and then they talk about the serious issues. How are we going to respond to coronavirus? We're waiting for the next meeting of COBRA. We're waiting for the next email from Church House. We're waiting until we hear something down the street about how we're to respond to this. But as believers this morning, we wait on all of that, but we also look to the Lord who can do all things. Today we acknowledge and we accept that He is the sovereign Almighty God, that He is not on the back foot in all of this, and that whatever will come of coronavirus in this world and this land where we can be safe and secure tonight in the hands of our God. Our confession puts it this way. Speaking about God's sovereignty, it says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Or in other words, say the Westminster Divines, God is absolutely sovereign. Everything that has come to pass and everything that will come to pass has come from God's most wise and holy counsel of his own will. Sometimes we we make decisions that are foolish. You're looking at one this morning. As I look out and see your wee eyes closed, I like to think that you're you're deep in prayer and concentration on the sermon, but it's probably just because you can't look at my jumper anymore. We make decisions that are wrong and foolish. But we read here that God is sovereign. And God has not asked our advice about how history is to unfold. God does not have a meeting of Cobra where he sits around and says, right, let's get the the best wisdom of the day and we'll decide what we're going to do. God from all eternity by his most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatever is to come to pass. And yet there are two important caveats to that that the Westminster Divines Assure us all. The first one is that it is done in such a way that God is not the author of sin. That's important. In the days to come when people will ask you, well, well, where is God in all of this? Why is a a virus running rampant? Is, Is that God's plan? Did God send this virus? Did God author this virus? No. God is not the author of sin. Sin came into the world through the disobedience and rebellion of the first man. God is not the author of sin. And yet God's will in this world is worked out through secondary causes. The Westminster Divines make that clear, that that God is the first cause. God sets history in motion. God ordains every single day that has ever been and ever will be. God is the first cause. But he brings his purposes to pass using secondary causes. And so we are in the times where we are seeing a secondary cause 
the coronavirus running rampant through this world. And so the question we must ask in light of the sovereignty of God is what is the Lord doing in this? As this secondary cause moves throughout the globe, what is the Lord doing? You see, folks, he is sovereign. And because he is sovereign, he is not washing his hands of events in this world. He is not on some far away, distant plane, unconcerned about what is going on on planet Earth and here in Palm Hinch. God is actively involved in this world and in history. He is reigning. He is sovereign. But where is he? Where is he? How do we respond to that question? What is he doing? Folks, I have heard this week Christians, well-meaning Christians, saying, well, obviously he's judging America. That's what he's doing. And I've heard other Christians saying, well, obviously he's judging the UK. We had a wonderful moment in the prayer meeting this morning. I'll not name names. I wouldn't do that. But, but one individual said, uh, you know, we, we may not get hit with this like the, the UK. And another individual said, uh, excuse me, excuse me, we are part of the UK. Uh, no surrender. You know, didn't, didn't say that. But probably that's what we were all thinking. God is sovereign, but I've heard Christians saying, oh, he's bringing judgment against Great Britain. So what is it? Is he judging America? Or is he judging Britain? Or maybe he's judging the Irish. Or maybe he's judging the Chinese. Or, or maybe he's judging uh, the Africans. Who? What? How? Some others have said, well, this is obviously because Christ is coming very soon. And with great confidence, they began to predict that he will be coming in this time, in this place, and Despite the fact that the word says none of us can know his coming, the day and hour of his arrival, Christians have been trying to put pictures in place to say this is obviously what God is doing. This is obviously how God is using the coronavirus. This is what he's about, and and you need to listen to me on this. Folks, I don't have the confidence to do that. I do not know the mind of the Lord. I have never been his counselor. And if a great storm swept through Balanhinch today and flattened every building, I would not fully understand what is going on. I could not tell you A to Z what God's purpose is in that. But I am glad to say that his word speaks to us and helps us to say and know with confidence where he is taking us. You see, sometimes when we get sick, sometimes when illness afflicts us, It is because God is disciplining us. In John chapter 5, in verses 2 to 3, Jesus meets an individual who needs to be healed. There in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus heals this individual. And later in verse 14, he sees him again. And Jesus says, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. It seems to suggest here in John's gospel that this man's problem was that he had come under the judgment of God. That the Lord was disciplining him with this illness. And Jesus heals him and warns him, sin no more. Sin no more. Sometimes illness comes as a result of God's discipline. 
We see that in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30 as well. Paul says to the Corinthians, a divided and, and fighting congregation, he says, you come to the Lord's Supper, you're divided, you don't speak to your brother, you treat your brother with contempt. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Again, the Corinthians were coming onto the discipline and judgment of God. He was using illness to do that, the secondary cause. And so is God disciplining us with the coronavirus? Is God bringing his judgment to bear because of the coronavirus? Maybe. Maybe. See, Scripture also says that sometimes ill health comes not as a result of discipline, but so that God's glory might be displayed. In John 9, Jesus meets a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Whose fault is this, Rabbi? Who sinned in this case? How is their discipline being applied here? And Jesus responds and says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes God uses viruses, illness, to discipline us. And sometimes he doesn't. And so what is God doing here? What is the coronavirus? Is it the discipline of God? Or is it to display the glory of God? What, what are we to understand? Well, again, my brothers and sisters, I do not know the mind of God. But here is what I am certain of this morning. In John 13, we are told that there have been days of trouble in the land. We'd been told that there were difficulties. There were, there were people who'd lost their lives in a tragic accident. There had been people who had lost their lives at the hand of Pilate, who had killed them as they were in the process of worshipping the Lord and sacrificing to the Lord, so much so that their blood was mixed in with their sacrifice. And so there are some who come to ask Jesus about this. It's like a modern-day question that we will face over coronavirus. Where's God in this? What's going on? What's the answer to this? In John 13 and verse 1, those present come to Jesus and they tell him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answers their question with certainty. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Jesus' answer is not, let's figure this out. Let's try and put this big picture together. Let's see if, if God's getting at the Americans or the British or the Japanese or the Australians. Let's try and put all this picture together. Jesus doesn't do that. He asks these individuals who, who seem to be so concerned about these dead Galileans, but not because they've lost their lives, not because they have families who will love them and miss them, not because of that. They, they, they wanted to know who was the worst sinner. Why did they do this? Why, were they really, really bad? Were they the worst of us? Jesus' response is, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Do you think God was using this as a judgment upon these people because they were worse than anybody else? Do you really think that that's what's going on? Jesus says, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then there's the incident at Siloam. There were 18, according to verse 4, on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. 
And again, the crowd wants to know. What was the reason there? Were they really bad? Who was in that crowd? Who, who really deserved this? Were they all awful sinners? And again, Jesus takes them away from that questioning and he turns it back onto themselves and he says, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So this week, when we're wrestling at B&M, when we can't get an appointment at the doctor, when our auntie phones us and says, I'm not going to see you until Christmas because I'm self-isolating, and you should too. But I've sent a, a bottle of vodka in the post because I heard you brush your teeth with it and you'll be all right. This week, what do we say? Folks, I think we, we strive to speak truth. I think we avoid stating things which are patently false. Some well-meaning believers might stand up in the days to come and say, Oh, God has nothing to do with us. This. this isn't God, not at all. We must say that that is false. We must declare today that God is sovereign. We must declare today that, that God is not on his throne letting 25% of things operate on their own. Our God is in control. Any believer, well-meaning or otherwise, who says that God's nothing to do with it, he can't do anything about it, it's a lie, it's false. He is sovereign. And as we stand against things that are false, so too we also need to make it clear that sometimes we don't have all the answers. Folks, be careful this week if you hear anybody saying, well, this is obviously because of this, this, and this. We don't know. If someone comes to you and says, well, Scott, you, me, is, is this virus? Is God punishing a certain nation? Maybe. We do not know the mind of God. If someone comes and says, Scott, you, me, is this the beginning of the end? Perhaps. We do not know the mind of God. Someone comes and says, where is God on all this? Tell me. Tell me. We need to be wise with our words because we do not know the mind of God. We avoid falsehood. And we avoid trying to explain every little dot and, and cross every T. But we state with clarity and with compassion, that which we do know, that which we are absolutely certain about. And what we can be certain about in coronavirus is that yes, the Lord has a purpose. And yes, we can look at this passage and say that in the middle of coronavirus, in the middle of a tsunami, in the middle of a meteor hurtling towards the earth, in the minute of a, a war, or, or even in the middle of you just struggling as an individual with illness or, or depression or sadness, in the middle of it all, what is God doing in this turmoil and in these times of trouble? Well, as Jesus looks to these questioning individuals who want to know, where is God with these dead Galileans? Where is God with those individuals crushed under the power of Siloam? Jesus looks them in the eye and he says, They were no worse than you. They were no more or no less deserving of punishment than you. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. My brothers and sisters, it would be much easier in the days to come to get into discussions about 
how God is obviously judging Boris Johnson. God's obviously judging Donald Trump. Obviously, God's punishing the nations for this, this, and this. Obviously, he is. And often we we point the finger and we forget that Jesus once said and still speaks and says, do you think Donald Trump's worse than you? Do you think Boris deserves God's punishment more than you do? Do you think the, the individuals who have already suffered and died from coronavirus deserved it more than you do? Jesus removes these individuals and I pray that he removes us from idle speculation and things that we don't know to a certain and sure call of repentance. In our catechism, we ask the question, what is repentance unto life? And the answer is given that repentance unto life is a saving grace. It is worked in the heart of a sinner by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. And they see and sense the danger of their sin and the filthiness of it and the odiness of it. And they know that God will be merciful to them. And so the repentant sinner runs away from it and flees to Christ. What do we do in days like this, as as a church like this? And we're already down in numbers. And that's not a criticism. We, We understand it. Maybe this morning coming to this church, you were thinking, should I, shouldn't I? These are dark days. Days that in my life I can never remember. But what do we do? My brothers and sisters, the call of the church of Jesus Christ is a difficult call. It has got nothing to do with closing schools or what mixture we should put in our hand sanitizer or whether we should stock up and bake beans, or whether we should self-isolate from now until September. Those things may be important. I am not, again, downplaying this issue. We need to be wise much in prayer and understand the seriousness of this. But what are we called to do? As the church of Jesus Christ, who is salt and light in this world, what are we called to do? We are called to say, repent and believe the gospel. Friends, this day last week, we had a BBE service here. And this whole coronavirus was going on then, as you know. And I stood just about there where our uh, uh, lectern is. And I told those boys what I'm telling you. How often is it that, that we sit in churches like this? And we hear of the need to repent and to believe the gospel. But we, we go home as if we've heard nothing. We hear the need of of Christ in our lives. We know that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God and we need to be saved. But, but you know, it's one ear and out the other. And chances are half the people in Balnehinch who don't know the Lord, they're not thinking about Christ today. They're concerned about toilet rolls and baked beans and bottled water and, and time off work. And those things are important, but they're not the most important thing. Coronavirus will come and go. And there will be perhaps other viruses. We're told in the word that until Christ comes, there will be wars and rumors of wars. These days, Jesus says, we will have trouble. And what is the pressing need? The pressing need is to repent and to believe the gospel. I do not know what God's doing in all of this. I do not know the specifics of his plan. 
I will not be getting on the internet and putting a video on YouTube to say, here's what God's doing. Tune in and, by the way, buy my books and send checks to this address. I won't be doing it because I don't know. But I am sure, utterly convinced, that the need for the UK, which is across the water, but we're part of it too, no surrender, the need for the UK is clean hands, but most of all a clean heart. The need for our Prime Minister is clean hands and wise decisions, but also a redeemed and saved heart. The need for our brothers and sisters across the border who are on lockdown is not a, a fight over the border to say, oh, we're doing it better than you. Oh, no, you're not. You're stupid. We're ahead of the curve. It's not that. What does Ireland, North and South, require? To repent and to believe the gospel. Friends, that's the need of this hour. And I know that that's challenging. I have been with individuals and, and everything's going lovely. You're having a great wee conversation. And see, once you mention the gospel, there's a, there's a hardness that comes. A hardness. It's not so long ago. Uh, I and Billy were, were in uh, a little, uh, fellow, or a little time of uh, visitation with an individual. And we said, look, can, can we read and pray? The individual looked at us and said, no, that's not necessary. A member of our church. But it's not necessary. A hardness comes. When you get the Bible out, when you say, can I pray for you? A hardness comes. What does that individual need? Good personal hygiene? Of course. But most of all, that individual needs Jesus. Friends, those conversations are difficult. But I pray by the grace of God this week you will have the courage and the boldness to engage in those conversations. As you're standing in the post office, coughing into your elbow, and someone starts to go on about how they have gathered up all the pampers in the world and they're going to sell them at £30 an appy to concerned parents, I hope you will have the courage to say, do you know what the pressing need is? The pressing need is Jesus. As someone rings you and wonders... Should we have this meeting? You know, we like to get together and we, we like to read books and we like to go to the movies together. Should we do that? I'm worried about it. I hope you have the courage to say, my friend, I love you dearly, but you know what your pressing need is? It's Jesus. I hope we have that courage. Because if the church in these days loses its voice and decides to panic with everybody else, and decides, oh, it's all doom and gloom, and we don't know anything to say, if the church becomes that body, then we have missed the calling that God has put in front of us for this day and this age, and indeed for every day and every age, and our call is repent and believe the gospel. We celebrated, just days ago, 100 years of Gene Kelly's life hundred years. And yet yesterday I was able to preach from the book of Isaiah that all flesh is like grass. My friends, that's true. Whether you will see that grand old age or not, the pressing need of anyone with breath in their body today is Jesus. And so Church of Christ, I call you away from idle speculation. I call you away from fear and doubt and worry. 
And instead, I call you to replace those things with prayer. Prayer for our church, prayer for our neighbors, prayer for this world, and to have the boldness and courage when confronted, when challenged, when everybody's panicking to say, I know certain things. I am sure today Christ looks at us and says, you must be born again. And friends, that is a challenge for every single one inside and outside of this church. And it is a challenge for you, those of you who today are still enemies of Christ, who still sit here with the wrath of God abiding upon you. What do you need? Jesus. Christ is merciful and gracious to sinners like us. Do you think you're the worst sinner ever? Do you honestly believe that he cannot save a wretch like you? My friends, you will find that Christ forgives all of those who repent and who look to him in faith. And so today, wash your hands. Prepare for the dark days to come. But most of all, if you do not know Christ, bend your knee before him. What must we say? What must we do? Repent and believe the gospel. Amen.